0: Welcome, everyone, to DEI After 5, the show that focuses on topics across diversity, equity, and inclusion with some of the brightest minds in the industry. Here's your hostess, inclusive culture curator and coach, Sasha Thompson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to DEI After Five. In this episode, I will be talking to someone who has been just there for me um, over the last few years in, in this space. And, you know, as practitioners, you kind of meet up and connect with people um, in different times, different programs, activities, and but there are a few that just kind of stick with you. And so this person has been one of those for me. And so today I want to welcome uh, my friend, Frank Starling. How are you?
1: I'm doing really well, thanks, Sasha. Great to be here. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. So glad that you could join me today. So for those that have not met you or don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about who you are?
1: Sure, yeah. Brief intro, really. So I'm founder and CEO of a company called Variety Back. So we're diversity, equity and inclusion consultants, um, primarily based out of the UK, uh, really help scaling businesses on that journey of creating equity, building inclusive workspaces.
0: And how did you get into this work?
1: Yeah, so my journey started about seven years ago. I started working with my local community to close the access gap for marginalized black men, actually the community in which I live in. Uh, It it had really the the biggest access gap in the entire country. And that really frustrated me. So I offered to be a business mentor. I was providing networks. I was just generally just trying to see what I could do to amplify this group. And that really inspired me. I founded my company, Variety, back uh, just over three years ago now so done a lot of different kind of things in the space did accreditation with Cornell University with Wharton with various other institutions out there but more so than ever I think I just want to see a level playing field if I'm honest so (laughs) that drew me into the space uh, I think uh, primarily more than anything else
0: yeah when I think back to some of our early conversations that's what that's basically what they were it was how do we do this Um, and working across the pond, right? Doing this U.S., U.K. um, I think at the time I was doing a little bit more work in the U.K. and just trying to figure out, you know, well, what are some of the differences? There are lots of similarities, but there are also some very nuanced differences. Um, And I think that it's important, especially for organizations that are global um, or at least have a more outside of the United States lens. I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, yep. To understand some of those nuances. And so can you talk a little bit about some of the things that you have seen um, in the UK that may or may not come top of mind for folks in the US or, or studying in other places, working in other places?
1: Yeah I think there's lots of different kind of significant differences first and foremost so I think with UK and Europe businesses that word of equality tends to pop up more often and of course it's problematic right you know if we use that word equality if I was to go and buy everyone at uh, the equity equation a a pair of shoes and it was exactly the same penny loafer exactly the same color um, and exactly the same size that's a really good analogy for equality right mm-hmm. everyone gets access to the same thing and i think there are many businesses in the uk and europe which are principally kind of stuck on on that bit of equality really trying to move up to that equity piece there's also this element of socio-economic background you know sometimes referred to as class that's a significant um, factor here in businesses in, in the UK and and in Europe. I would say in the US, obviously the dynamic of, of socioeconomic background is is somewhat different, but it can often get get forgotten about. So, mm-hmm.
0: Talk to me a little bit more about that, right? Because what, when I hear class, I think of kind of caste systems, I think of um, some of the other things that we may see in other parts of the world where Again, it's it's still in the U.S., but it's so much more prominent, I I believe, um, in other parts of the world. And so, can you talk a little bit about how that shows up in diversity, equity, and inclusion?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, I think, as you say, that there's a level of subjectivity to that word, class, and to be honest, I don't even like the word, right? Because for me, it says segregation. But at least what it helps us to delineate is some of us have had uh, a slightly thornier path than others. You know, your socioeconomic background, your start in life, you know, you may have had two parents growing up, you know, you may have had uh, a secure household where you didn't have to pay for your education. Uh, you may have you may have had access to all of the resources you need, you needed as you were kind of journeying through your life that allowed you to make decisions which are maybe slightly riskier than others. Uh, and for others, it could tell, it could, you can paint a very different picture where you grew up in a single parent household. Maybe you grew up on a council estate, you know, maybe your family struggled with just getting their daily bread. I could definitely speak to that. You know, that was, that was certainly my background. So with that creates an access gap where, you know, those two different households, those two different families, sometimes the young people within those households are not necessarily going to get fair access to opportunities and that can impact their entire Life, The entire trajectory. So when we forget about talking about this thing of socioeconomic background or or class, depending on where you are, it can sometimes negate the fact that there is an access gap. This can sometimes be that glass ceiling that is present based on your background, based on your start in life. And I think the, the biggest shift there is that there are businesses in the UK where it, it can still hang over you. Um, it do, you don't necessarily get the same opportunity unless you're in a company that, you know, will remove those ceilings and really wants to empower anyone and everyone and really appreciates having that diversity at the table. Yeah, I love that. Yeah.
0: So one of the things that's been I've been really curious about lately are hot topics. Right. So there are certain hot topics that come up in diversity, equity and inclusion. What are some of the hot topics that you and your company are dealing with right now?
1: Yeah, I think there's a couple of hot topics which are really standing out at the moment, looking at 2022 and, you know, what changes businesses can make. I think the first one is this word of allyship, which I think is often mm-hmm. misunderstood, you know, I think a lot of people use the word ally or allyship quite flippantly without really knowing and understanding what allyship truly is. You know, for me, allyship is being aware of your biases, being aware of your power and privilege and using your platform to support the underrepresented. That's allyship. It can sometimes be described in many different ways. But I think if businesses are really to, you know, if they're going to jump onto a hot topic and they want to get it right and get some quick wins in the DNI space then allyship, I think, for me, is, is, a, is a really significant thing that you know, lots of companies should focus on. Um, another one which I think is, is spoken about, but it's not coupled with the right elements, is psychological safety. So mm. we hear a lot about psychological safety, Amy Edmonton's research, which, which is obviously brilliant in its own right. At the same time, I think we have to couple psychological safety with intersectionality you know, what Kimberly Crenshaw talks about, that hierarchy that we're trying to dismantle, simply because psychological safety certainly can benefit those who may be in a privileged position. The ability to speak with candor, the, the ability to feel safe, secure, and supported in any situation, you know, that can sometimes, you know, that entire setup can tend to favor people who maybe let's say overrepresented you know who Mm -hmm. aren't necessarily challenged with barriers if we bring in intersectionality then we recognize that the layer cake of your lived experiences of course is going to impact your psychological safety right because it's going to impact how you necessarily feel included in part of that organization and therefore your voice as well so I think it's sometimes demystifying these buzzwords to action points And for me, when we talk about hot topics, it's like, how do we bring it down to, like, what are the results we want to see, even if we're calling it allyship or calling it psychological safety, what does it actually mean? And how do we bring that into, like, relevancy to each person's role? So I think that's that's a a big thing I think companies should should really drill down on.
0: We did not talk about this at all. And so those, when you said psychological safety, I'm like, you know, that's That's my thing. I absolutely love that. Because um, what I've started doing too with clients, so I'll come in and I'll do assessments around psychological safety. But before that, I have one-on-ones with whoever's the most marginalized on the team. Yeah, right. Because I want to make sure that I'm hearing what their experiences are, that their voices matter, right? Okay, And I know that what they're saying may get lost in the assessment. And so I want to make sure that all of that is kind of captured, but then I can identify okay, there's some other challenges here that may go above and beyond psychological safety or maybe hindering the safety for some folks, such as microaggressions, right? Absolutely. I'm hearing, a, I'm <laughs> hearing microaggressions, I'm hearing it, I'm hearing it, I'm hearing it, I'm hearing
1: it happening. I'm, I'm so- go ahead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm smiling because as soon as you say microaggressions, for me, <laughs> we know as practitioners that's you know that's where a lot of the real work lies. Mm-hmm. It's like tackling microaggressions and microbehaviors, and, and every year I scan through enterprise DNI strategies for some reason, I never see visibility on that particular point. So I yield my time because I interrupted you there. (laughs) Just as soon as you said microaggressions, I was like, absolutely. That's it, right? That that is something. Let's layer that on. I mean, that should be your first 25% of what you're doing. It's like tackling those slights and snubs that they don't just make people feel like outsiders. Mm -hmm. They can go one step further, right? They're causing that anxiety, sometimes can cause Depression in people as well because it's just so triggering. And, you know, it's, I think, articulating the impact of microaggressions again is often misunderstood as well. If you went into work and you experienced one or two of these every single week, you'd probably go home and have a good night's sleep. You know, if all you understand, is a workplace where you are micro five, six, seven, ten five, six, seven, 10 times a day. Sometimes, you know, your name is mistaken. People try and touch your hair, right. People question your gender, you know, the list goes on. That's an entirely different experience. So completely like hear what you're saying there in terms of like just reaching out to the most marginalized and giving them a voice because chances are their story will be, you know, very unique and impactful.
0: Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's critical. And I think the piece that, you spoke about just now, uh, but didn't name, is what does accountability look like on the backside of those microaggressions, right? And that's the piece that I think a lot of companies aren't touching um, in this process. We'll we'll have workshops, and I'm not even doing workshops anymore, workshops on microaggressions or workshops on psychological safety, but then there's the now what Okay, so now that you know and you're aware, what are you going to do to ensure that behaviors are changed? And that's the piece of this work that I think, I'm calling it like DEI 2.0, 2. right? Yeah. Now it goes from, okay, from awareness to action. What does this look like um, in the workplace? And so when you talk about psychological safety, I love doing it be- with an assessment because I'm like, okay, yeah. let's here's baseline. This is where you are. It may not be great. I've had some clients where they've had eights and nines, which, okay, you're doing great. But then I also have some that have been in the the twos and threes. And, okay, there's there's some work that needs to happen. And so over the next six months, that's what we're going to do. We're going to work on ensuring that the psychological safety of your team um, increases for everyone, not just the majority. Um, and so, it's how do you do that work, and then what does accountability look like in that process?
1: Well, you made you made that really important point of move, moving from awareness to action, and I think we couldn't we couldn't talk about that shift without uh, giving a shout out to tokenism, basically, because you know let let's face it, tokenism is the decay that exists within this work, mm-hmm. and it is it's not just incredibly frustrating to see; it's just uh, Overall, it's just somewhat reductive. You know, if any organization out there goes out with this intentionality to become more inclusive, more equitable to its marginalized employees, more representative of the, the, you know, customer and client base it should serve or the society that it serves, tackling tokenism, again, that should be top of the list. And it's not that difficult to do. You know, if you sidestep the virtue signaling if you sidestep Mm -hmm. the inauthentic work, if you sidestep the conversations that don't really lead to real actions, then you start to chip away at what needs to be done. And I think I'm not telling anyone (laughs) off or shaming organizations, but it's very much the opposite, that there's a massive opportunity now to leverage the positive aspects of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Close to 70% of millennials are looking for a DNI policy before they even apply to a position. So, if you are to a- attract, you know, what we would call the best talent in a level playing field right now, then visibility on the work you're doing is as important. And in order to be visible authentically, I think that's where you've got a narrative of we're going to make sure that any of the work that we do is not rooted through through tokenism through through optics. Right?
0: I I would add another piece to how to mitigate tokenism is by who are you actually giving power to? Who are you empowering in this process? Because so many organizations are putting the right face as leading some of the charge or, you know, we've hired this person to run our culture team, but they're not empowered to do anything. Um, and so that's the other piece of this. It's not just putting the right faces in the right places, but allowing them to actually have power to make change happen.
1: And You're I think so that, right.
0: that's 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 the difference that we need to start to see
1: yeah i think that's a significant difference and actually you see that in the stats for the average tenure of a chief diversity officer you know at most were pushing you know the lowest being around about 18 months and the, mm-hmm. the 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 average is you know just over 2 years sometimes closing in on 3 years for for an enterprise company that is 10,000 50,000 potentially 100,000 employees that's not enough of a window to create change so what that says to us is that a lot of the time they're not empowered from the get-go you know yes they may be given the position yes they may be given on the face of things to the outside world it looks like they have the authority they need but sometimes there are individuals out there that are working for huge companies that as you say they're, they're not necessarily getting a seat at the table and it also begs the question of you know representation across that c suite and why that's also crucially important and why we're not seeing enough action in those areas as well
0: you just touched on something, and I think that that's a key piece. It's it's that C-suite, right? Um, how can organizations start to make shifts there? Because what I have noticed, um, the easiest change has always been to put a white woman in HR <laughs> in the C-suite, right? Yeah. Yeah. Our diversity is great. then they may or may not have, but they may have a man of color, so I'm just going to put it that way yeah. um, in another role. But that's very
1: that's a, rare. Yeah and
0: that's it right And they're like, oh we, we have diversity at the top.
1: Yeah yeah and I, and I think there are a few things to look at. I think the first thing to accept is we don't have a level playing field. So to go out and say to ourselves that if you, you know, if you work hard in any situation, of course you're going to get that position, it isn't always obvious. You know, because of the sticky floors and glass ceilings that can exist, mm. underrepresented folks and marginalized folks within certain organizations aren't, aren't necessarily going to progress at exactly the same level. So that's the first thing that we need to accept. It's not that it's not possible, but we need to ensure that our processes and procedures are equitable. We then need to look at succession planning. I think lots, a number of C-suites out there aren't necessarily going to plan for the future. And then think about, well, as we plan for the future, we have a huge opportunity to ensure that we're sponsoring um, underrepresented folks into these positions on an annual cycle right? Because at any given time, there are going to be any roles that could open up for various amount of reasons. So if you're robust with your set succession planning, and you're pulling in the importance of increasing diversity and representation, then of course, over time, it may take some time, but over time, you'll start to see changes. I think the third thing to look at is really, you know, how important is it for us? You know, let me take a moment, if I'm a C-level, exec, if I'm in that C-suite, let me take a moment, To challenge myself, am I building the future of work or am I building a representation of the past? Ultimately, what I mean by that is, you know, even if you just take the US to start off with, right, the what we would call the minority groups in the US soon to be the majority by near and about 2040. That's a significant shift in the makeup of the population. So I think if companies are really to take this, you know, this mantle of, you know, diversifying not just their their, you know, just one or two token positions, but their entire organization seriously, then it's really putting this robustness behind equity and increasing representation, which is a very different outlook compared to doing what's, you know, what's needed or what looks best um, on on our marketing pages, right? If we're if we if we're adding robustness, we're adding rigidity. We're creating foundations for a very different and exciting future.
0: I love it. And you hit when I when you said succession planning, I was like, yes, that part.
1: <laughs> yeah, because totally. what I
0: noticed too is, especially in the last two years, a lot of organizations have done these great mentorship programs. For underrepresented talent, but there's it's not been connected to succession planning, and i cha- My challenge to folks are okay. People of color are over mentored, but under sponsored. So how can you create sponsorship programs, as you were saying, that are that's tied to succession planning, so that people um, that are a part of that process see a future for themselves at that organization. And they don't feel, okay, yep, I have a mentor that's going to help me get a job somewhere else, right? And I think that's what's been happening is people are not feeling connected to or seeing themselves rise up in the ranks within their organization because they're not part of a succession plan. They don't see a future for themselves there. Um, And so they do that self-promotion or uh, yeah, self-promotion to Mm. the next level at some other organization because they don't see a promotion for themselves where they are. So when you said that, I'm like, that's a a huge point that I think a lot of organizations are missing out on right now because they do not, um, they are not intentional in ensuring that there's diversity and equity in that
1: process. I totally agree. And I, I think companies can keep it simple. They can just ask themselves one question, which is, do we have gatekeepers? You know, let's take an honest yeah, yeah. And, and open look at where our organization is now. Do we have leaders who are inclusive, who are out there empowering our people to be the best version of themselves, irrespective of who they are and how they choose to identify? Do we have leaders who are challenging their biases, you know, using their privilege and power to lift others up? And if we are going to launch something like uh, a mentorship program, to your point, is it equitable? at the mm-hmm. end of that mentorship program you know we've gone through those great learnings we've had those those courses and that content is there sponsorship at the end of that tunnel and if there is sponsorship what does that look like so you know we have to acknowledge that sometimes there are you know there are gatekeepers in the program in the in the process who don't necessarily want to see change or a scale of change and that's just anti innovation in my opinion yeah. you know you're you're decaying your company from from the inside so, you know, from a, a, a positive note, I think a, a great thing you can do is really challenge your leaders on those inclusive behaviours. Because I think if that's pulled into what you do, for example, if your employee 360s has a clear section in there, which is which points to inclusive leadership, fantastic, we get visibility and we get accountability on whether inclusive leadership behaviours are being demonstrated within our organisation. And what we're not trying to do is go on a shame kind of witch hunt and seek mm-hmm. these leaders out. But the people that we have employed, you know, to to be inspiring and to empower the people that we work with, we want them to be better. We want to give them the tools to be more inclusive. And I think asking those hard and sometimes uncomfortable questions, it takes a lot of courage. And then it obviously takes psychological safety, right? That, that ability to to just feel confident to, to speak our truths when we don't see it happening.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think in those 360s, historically, some of this information has come up, but the organization hasn't done anything with it, right? And so that's the piece of accountability that I think is so critical. It's, okay, you know who the the problem children are in the organization. (laughs) Everyone knows who they are, right? (laughs) What are you gonna do about it? Because that and how you manage that is your company culture. It's not what you put on a website. It's not, you know, the talking points that you give leaders when they're speaking on a stage. It's how do you deal with toxic behaviors within your organization? Absolutely, that's what, especially as you know, you spoke about um, the 70% of younger generations coming in are looking for diversity, equity, and inclusion as a part of the company culture. That's a piece of it. That's what they're looking for and asking about, right? Um, And so companies can no longer hide those things. They need to be transparent in what they're doing about toxic managers. Um, you know, and, and I'm not one to say, kick them all out and fire them <laughs> because they're going to go somewhere else and be toxic. Yeah, right? true. How, can you, <laughs> true. how can you support them in becoming more inclusive, right? How can you provide them the tools and resources that they need Because what I'm also hearing from a lot of um, companies that I'm working with are middle managers aren't told how to be managers. Mm. They aren't really given the tools to be successful in their jobs. Um, And so they are getting information from the top down and the bottom up and still trying to figure out how to be inclusive in all of that. And so. What can organizations do to make to ensure their psychological safety, but they're also getting the support, tools, resources that they need in order to make the culture one where they're not looking at employees as cogs in a wheel, but investing in the human element
1: of things. So yeah. And I think that's such an important point that it's not obvious that people would just come to work and all of a sudden start to demonstrate inclusive and equitable behaviors. So, you know, so providing those managers and, and your leaders with the right tools and understanding and knowledge and awareness and helping them to translate that into concrete actions is how we get the work done. Right. So as you say, I think there's, you know, what you described is, you know, two very different companies, you know, one company where, People just crack on, right? They're just Mm -hmm. generally satisfied with what they do, but they aren't necessarily trying to be inclusive or equitable. And another company, um, you know, tells a very different story, one which is trying to focus on how do we empower our leaders to be the best version of themselves? How do we focus on their learning journey, their career path, and why this is such an important track for them to grow as leaders you know in 10 years time some of the things that we're trying to advocate for now they'll be part of institutions just in 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 day-to-day life right Mm -hmm. so if you're not innovating now around this space then it's going to be very difficult to to stay uh, with the current mode of operations and i think now is a great time to ask questions you know we've just had you know uh, um, and we are still going through obviously a, a really terrible global pandemic, you know, in in some of our um, societies in the world where we're past maybe the worst worst peaks and those that have had you know the privilege to 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 be vaccinated or to or to stay safe. But what that has done is force people to ask questions about things like culture and values. And I think mm-hmm. when people are joining an organization now, they are expecting to see their values reflected in company culture what things that mean something to them they want to join companies that actually care right that can speak to social justice issues that can speak to equitable processes and they also i think understand that the culture we we build within organizations directly affects the fabric of our society if we were to build corporations and institutions that continuously are inequitable and lack inclusion well guess what our society is going to look very different because of course there are certain individuals who are marginalized in society who chances are won't get access to the opportunities the career growth the c-suite over the course of you know a 10 or 20 year period so what does that society look like in 10 or 20 years well we can choose that now you know, mm-hmm. we can make the right decision. We can start to ask those questions and really think about the wider impact that we're making just by, you know, taking the right steps. Yes.
0: All of that. All of that. It's how do we invest today into our future?
1: Absolutely. Totally, totally agree.
0: So we're going to do a little bit of a pivot because, you know, I'm going to ask this question.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. now,
0: you know, What are the things that you do to take care of yourself? Right. How do you fill your cup? How do you... Um, Kind of come down from from this work.
1: Yeah, so one of the things I do to really just focus on self care is is meditation. You know, I'm a big reflector mm. anyway, but I like to just take the time to you know be in my thoughts and just really reflect on trauma, on being triggered, on you know my life in general, my career, my family. Really, just to I think put myself in a space where you know I feel calm I feel like you know I'm not taking on things that you know sometimes you as you know you host a focus group or you host a workshop or just a discussion sometimes and you'll just be triggered by that mm. discussion that can send you out for an hour it could send you out for two three days so for me meditation isn't necessarily always in the traditional sense it can just be sitting in a quiet space you know really just kind of reflecting on you know myself where I am now and, and the future uh, but that's definitely one of the things that has has kept me in a in a good space in a good airspace. Um another thing that I I like to do is play tennis so I like to get mm-hmm. out and actually play a bit of sport sometimes coming out to that season now it's it's a bit warmer here in the UK so I can dust off the tennis racket and get onto the court I, I wouldn't say I'm a, a Pete Sampras or anything similar <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I could definitely knock a few down the court so Um, So I think it's just it's the small things, you know, hiking, just, you know, just getting out there. I think, you know, I love to travel as well. Just just came back from the States. Actually, I was there for a week uh, over Easter, just seeing some family there as well. So you know, things like this, which I think are just crucially important. You have to put them in the diary. You have to make sure that, you know, you stick to your self-care routine. Sometimes it can go off kilter, especially if you're, you know, if you're running your own organization. You you know what it's like. You're, You're nine to five. Doesn't end at five because you then got your five to nine where you know your your, your work basically continues <laughs> so you have to actually be pretty regimented with your self-care i'm not always that great um but i guess that's why you know i've also got pt three times a week so that helps with keeping me like you know just just at least healthy and and, and in the zone
0: so. i love it yeah i have started doing weight training twice a week but it's on the calendar so I was like I know yeah (laughs) it's at six o'clock I have to be done on these days at least by 5 30. So those are things that I think that are are definitely um helpful to kind of get your mind out and you're more worried about hitting the ball than whatever workshop (laughs) you have to work for. That's so true
1: (laughs) that's so true yeah I know when I've got my pt by Canada is just one hour where I'm just going to be miserable and then after that <laughs> I can, it's just one hour and then I can continue my day knowing that I'm a little bit more healthier than yesterday so I, I try my best to smile so <laughs> <laughs> it's tough though it's oh, tough yeah. we know that so.
0: I've been through pt before yeah not the best, not the best. Yeah. so Frank thank you so much for for joining me today Um, if people wanted to get in contact with you, what is the best way for them to do that?
1: Yeah, they could just reach out to me on LinkedIn. So I'm just Frank Starling on LinkedIn, CEO of Variety Pack. So follow me on there. You can also reach out my website, varietyback.co, and get in touch with myself or the team there.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me from over the the pond. Um, (laughs) We haven't talked in a while, so this has been fabulous. So thank you for that. And thank you for everyone for for watching today. I hope you were able to pick up a couple of nuggets um, from this conversation and and thinking about this work in a very different way. So you can always um, catch us on Tuesdays at 5.15 on YouTube or your favorite podcast um, platform. And we will see you next time. Have a good one.